Connie, for that. I hope that you're at church on purpose this morning. And we unveiled our theme for the year last week. Started with the first sermon in this series talking about living on purpose. And I saw many of you uh, with your reminder bracelets or armbands uh, throughout the week. And I hope it's a blessing to you to encourage you in the Holy Spirit to live on purpose. Today, we're headed for 1 Corinthians chapter 9 in the New Testament. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to deal with serving on purpose as we get started this morning. Serving on purpose. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and our reading this morning begins in verse number 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. Let's pray. Father, would you bless us this morning? As we speak your word, I pray that you would impart to each of our lives a truth that would be important to us in living for you. We pray that you would guide now, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please listen to this song? His heart was broken, mine was mended. He became sin, now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burden. The nails that held him set me free his life for mine his life for mine how could it ever be that he would die God's son would me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. His life He was 
was despised and rejected, stripped of his garment and oppressed. I am loved and accepted, and I wear a robe of righteousness. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's Son would die to save a wretch? Like me, like me, what love divine he gave his life for That. That's one of my favorite songs, and I love the message of that song. Christian service is something that we've all heard about. I know it's, it's uh, a, a term that's used all the time, but because it's been generalized sometimes or maybe misdefined, we might think that we can never be a part of it. Yeah, there, there may be people sitting here in this room today who feel like, I could never be a part of Christian service. I'm not connected, or maybe I'm past the point in age where I can serve. And we often limit the definition of Christian service to one day a week. And I bet you'll never guess which day it is. Right? And sometimes we limit it also to one location. You're sitting in it. Um, sometimes we think that Christian service is only about Sunday at a church. But today we're going to find out that authentic service has no time constraints. It has no physical boundaries. It can be something that children of God do anywhere, anytime, any place. But the purpose behind Christian service never changes. And, and we, we read it here in the passage this morning. It's always the same. Service is always for the gospel's sake. That's, that's what God, God's word tells us. Service is always for the gospel's sake. And so let's talk about some incredibly important characteristics today of Christian service. The notes are provided in your bulletin if you'd like to follow along with us. And we'll look here at this passage in 1 Corinthians 9. We'll go to a couple other passages, but mainly stay in this passage today. We see, first of all, service that is voluntary. Service that is voluntary. Paul penned this letter to the church at Corinth in the first century when every form of slavery that you could ever imagine was still alive and well. In fact, many of the early followers of Jesus Christ who lived in Gentile countries were slaves. They were slaves in Roman cities all over the Roman Empire. In fact, there's a, an entire book of the Bible that talks about one of these slaves. If you ever run across it, it's a, it's a one-chapter book called Philemon. And it's about a, a man who was a slave to another man named Onesimus. And in many of his letters, Paul used the current event of human slavery as a word picture to connect with his audience. We all know slavery's existed, and it still does in some places. Sadly, history tells us that men and women have been enslaved against their will. And that's why verse 19 is so striking. As we get started in the passage, look what he says. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Now can you imagine watching someone who was just released from bonds? just released from prison, just released from shackles, who walked out the door and got out into the parking lot and said, I'm free, and then walked back in and said, chain me back up. Can you imagine that? 
Now for us, that, it just seems so absurd that anyone would do that. And yet Paul said, I made myself a slave. I became a slave. And it was a voluntary thing. He was willing to enslave himself, to become a servant, if it meant that he could gain one more soul for the kingdom of God. And so service begins with this raw willingness. I'm ready to be used or abused if it will further the kingdom. Obviously, the generation in which we live is vastly different than the one in which Paul lived. When he says he made himself a servant to all, what he meant was he spent time in foul dungeons, rotting in slime, so that he could share the gospel with prisoners and jailers, like the Philippian jailer in Acts 16. For us, voluntary service is big, if we give up watching the football game to rake somebody's leaves. And and so there's a vast difference in how he lived and how we lived. It's a whole different world, especially in the United States. That's not to knock anyone, it's just a fact. We are coming from a different starting place. When When we talk about service, we're coming from a different starting place in the 21st century. But the principle is still the same. To serve, I must begin by being a willing servant. And this is, this is not rocket science, but this just makes common sense, right? If you're going to serve, you have to be a servant. And, and so the definitions of these words are very important. True service is not coerced in any way. It's offered on a voluntary basis. And it's so service that's voluntary. But then we see this, service that is costly. Service that is costly. Go with me back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Five chapters to your left. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I'd like to read for you some of the example that Paul shares with this same church about service and what it requires and what it costs. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 9. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles, last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels and to men. Isn't that a great job description? God called us so that we could be killed in front of everyone. God called us so that every one of us could be martyred for our faith, except for John, and he was just boiled in oil. And and so there's this massive thing that rings out from verse number 9 that says there's a calling for service. Look at verse 10. He says, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honorable, but we are despised. Even under this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. And so service was costly to the Apostle Paul. Service was not attractive. There was a great cost to it. Look at 2 Corinthians, if you would. That's the next book to your right. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And in this chapter, Paul describes an event that happened in his life where he asked God, God, could you please take this away? In fact, he asked God definitely three times. And the answer was, Nope, my grace is sufficient for you. And if you're a Christian, if you've been a Christian very long, you've heard that verse before. Further down in the chapter, though, in 2 Corinthians 12, I want you to notice verse number 14. As he speaks to this church in Corinth. Behold, the third time I'm ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. For I seek not yours, but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Look at verse 15. And I will very gladly spend 
and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Look at that verse again. It is so powerful. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Wow. Paul never served anyone so that he could get something out of them or gain something from them. As you read Acts and all of the apostles that were written by Paul, you find that serving others never brought him reward or hire from the people that he helped. He wasn't involved in lives to get people's possessions, just their souls. And ministry cost Paul something. In fact, it cost him everything. And yet he said time and again that the sacrifice was worth it. And as the hands and feet of Jesus, we're not sent out to help the people who can pay us back. As the hands and feet of Jesus, we're not sent out to help people who can return the favor. We're sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to help set prisoners free from their spiritual bondage. And serving in the kingdom in the way Jesus would have us to always costs us something. Sometimes, everything. And Paul's words to these fickle people are so piercing to me. I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. If there is a verse that describes the difficult side of ministry, that's the verse. Over the years, I've talked to so many people who used to be active in ministry, but not anymore. And they say things like this. I just can't take another person being unthankful. You know, because sometimes we get this idea that we serve so that people will thank us. We don't serve so that people will thank us. We serve because we love Jesus. But they say things like that. Or maybe they say, I I just can't give anymore because the people I've helped the most have hurt me the most. You know, that's the truth. Because you've invested in their lives and you've given part of you. And when you do, that hurts. The people that you love and help the most hurt you the most. Sometimes I've heard people say, I served for a long time and nobody ever recognized me. And so I'm out. I'm done. Could I ask, who were you serving? Were you serving our Lord Christ or were you serving for the praise of men? Because the praise of men is not an eternal reward, but serving Jesus Christ is. It is no wonder that Jesus told those who followed him to count the cost before they surrendered. He said, you better count the cost. It costs something to serve me. Do you know what every Jesus follower found out? The path of service was worth it all. Even though the cost was very great. We have many dear folks here at Centennial who look for opportunities to help and connect with others. And several folks last year began to reach out to an elderly lady uh, across the street from where some of the kids live who ride the bus to church. And they put a new floor in for her, and they got her some furniture, and they cooked for her, and they cleaned her kitchen all up, and they just loved on her. And all the while, every time they went, they presented the truth of God's grace at every opportunity. Well, Friday morning, they found out that she passed away over the holidays. No one's sure if she ever trusted Jesus Christ as her Savior. And there was a cost involved. I could tell when they talked to me on Friday that it tore a little piece of their hearts out. Paul said, I would give anything to gain a soul. Even though the cost can't be calculated, I'd give anything for just one. Just to gain one. Would you go back with me to our initial passage in 1 Corinthians 9? And I just want you to highlight some words As we go through it again, if you like to underline in your Bible, this would be a perfect time. I want you to notice some of the wording 
Starting in verse number 19 again. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all. Now look what he says. That I might gain the more. Verse 20. Second phrase. That I might gain the Jews. End of the verse. That I might gain them that are under the law. Verse 21. That I might gain them that are without law. Verse 22. That I might gain the weak. The end of the verse, that I might by all means save some. See, there was a cost, but the result was much greater. And, and I have to tell you, in that effort, in that service, in that struggle, though I lose everything, I win Christ. That's what we talked about last week. Paul's greatest desire, his goal for living on purpose was that he would win Christ that he would be able to have a relationship with Jesus Christ that was the thing that he lived for the most. And there is greater joy in the sacrifice of service than there is in the largest earthly gain, the biggest job promotion, the most exciting trip or adventure. Nothing comes close to the joy of service. And if you've never experienced serving the Lord, let me warn you that it will cost something. Sometimes everything. But hey, it's worth it all. And you may start with a couple snow shovels and a couple hours and head out in the neighborhood and show the love of Christ. Our life groups began to process some things this morning on what we can do on purpose in serving God this year. And I hope that all the life groups had a great discussion on this. But I heard back from one group and uh, some of the things that they're already thinking about doing for this year. There, there are two types of ministry. There's the ministry of reaction, where we find people in our own body, in our own group, people we already know who have needs. And we should certainly love them and minister to them. And the Bible says that we should do good to them who are of the household of faith. And we should. When we find a need in our own midst, we should help and we should be a blessing to them. And we talked about this year uh, starting new ministries for the elderly and for, for a mom's group and for different people who already have needs here in our own church community. That's a reaction. Those are things that we see that we need to react to. But then there's also the ministry of action where we go outside of our own body. And we go out and purposely try to connect with people for no gain that we can get back from them. We're not expecting them to come and give in the offering. We're not expecting them to come and do things here at the church. We just want to love them and be a blessing to them. Heard back from one group that's already determining what their first activity would be. And because this year is on purpose, we have on purpose scheduled once a month for life group outreach or activities that would connect us with people actively on purpose. And uh, the first one, I believe, is January 26th, a couple of weeks from yesterday. Um, one of the groups, and I was blown away. I almost started crying when I heard this before the service. Their idea came from their group. Didn't come from me, didn't come from anybody on staff. Came from their group. Here was their idea. See if you think this would connect. They determined that on that day, that first outreach day for their group, they're going to make up gift baskets, and they're going to go out on that Saturday and give them to the parents of the kids who ride the bus to church so that they can thank them for letting them come. Now, can you imagine the connection God could use in that? Can you imagine if one of those parents came to church I trusted Jesus Christ. That effort would be worth everything. The cost involved, sometimes we say, oh, that cost me time. That'll cost me money. That'll cost me effort. But the sacrifice is worth it all if we just reach one. And so there's sacrifice involved in ministry. There's a cost involved in ministry. As we begin to process those things, whether it's going down with a cup of coins to a local laundromat, taking care of every machine in the place for a while, 
or going into a neighborhood to distribute, distribute blankets or bicycles or Bibles or whatever it would be. I don't know how God's going to use us. But if we're willing to go and we're willing to sacrifice, the way he uses us will far surpass our biggest dreams. If it could reach just one soul, it'd be worth it all. And so service is costly. It costs us something. But you know, the most exciting thing to me as a pastor is when I see the body of Christ at work because of the Holy Spirit. Not because we took a cattle prod from the pulpit and jabbed everybody. It said, you have to come this week and do such and such thing. It's because the Holy Spirit's working in you. And you understand there's something bigger than us. There's something bigger than this church. There's something bigger than my family. There's what God wants me to do. I remember growing up in a church where everything was about pressure and um, everything was related to some type of performance. And um, if you do this, God will bless you. And if you don't do this, God won't bless you. And I remember on Sunday nights when I was a kid, they'd say, all the people who are going out this week on church visitation, stand up. This was in church. Everybody's looking around like, well, I don't stand up. I won't be spiritual. Right? I won't be a spiritual person. And they may write me a note and tell me I'm out. And so people would kind of stand up. And then they'd look around. Somebody else would stand up. You know, those people, half of them never went. But they stood up so that they could feel like they were doing something for God. What if we actually went and did something for God without having to stand up? What if we just got together and said, hey, if two or three of us could pray together and go help somebody together, let's do it. Any day of the week, any time of the day, let's go. Let's go help. Let's go be friend. Let's go love. That's the connection God wants us to have. And sometimes it's costly. But if we're willing, and we're willing to sacrifice, God can bless. I want you to notice this next one. It's so powerful in the, in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 9, service that is selfless. Service that is selfless. Notice again, he said to the Jew, I became as a Jew. To them that are under the law is under the law. To them that are without law is without law. To the weak, I became as weak. And there's a powerful statement down there where he says, I have made all things to all men. I made all things to all men. And that's this statement that people have struggled with for centuries. Well, what does that really mean? And how can we apply it? And how can we apply it and still be churchy? And how can we apply it and still have only godly people come to church? Have you looked around? We're a mess, people. We have just as many problems as the people who are outside of these walls. And yet sometimes we create a church environment that's just for us. And when other people walk in the door, they don't feel attachment, they don't feel connection, they don't feel like they're wanted. Because we've created an environment just for church people. You know, God wants us to become all things to all men. And we have to do it sometimes on an individual basis. We can't all connect with everybody. But God has designed somebody in this body to connect with every person in Caldwell. I truly believe it. There are people in Caldwell who like far out things. There are people that God has given us here in this congregation who like the same far out things. Like Pink Floyd and Psychedelic and 1960s bell bottoms. And there's all kinds of things people like here. Some of you, I lost you at Pink Floyd. Like, whoa, what just happened here? Um, But God can use us if we're willing to reach out. And I have people ask me questions all the time about certain things they do. And here's why. Because we all want to feel like what we're doing is approved. And people think, well, look, if if the pastor signed off on this, it's got to be right. Can I just tell you this? 
you better make sure God signs off on it. Because when you stand before him, the pastor's word won't be good enough. The Holy Spirit may be having you ask the question because the Holy Spirit's already dealing with your heart about it. I've had people ask me if it's wrong to smoke or if social drinking's a sin or if they should give off of their net or their gross pay. And in Paul's day, the topic was meat at the marketplace that had been offered to false idols before it was sold. There's always something to decide about Christian liberty. In the 60s, it was bell-bottoms. In the 70s, it was miniskirts. In the 80s, it was wire-rimmed glasses. In the 90s, it was pink shirts. Literally. I went to a pastor's conference where the subject, the title of the message was, I hate pink shirts. And I wonder where the guy's going with this thing. You know where he was going with it? I hate pink shirts. That's where he went with it. That's what his whole message was about. Can I just tell you something? That didn't reach one soul for Christ. That didn't connect anybody with the kingdom. It doesn't matter if he hates pink shirts. Who cares? It doesn't matter if you don't like bell bottoms or wire rim glasses. Who cares? It doesn't matter what the person down the aisle is led to do by the Holy Spirit. Let's serve God together. Some of you listen to only piano music in your car. Some of you listen to only classical music. Some of you rebellious Christians listen to country music. Yeah. Big laugh on that one. Ha ha. Some of you even listen to rock music in your car. Do you know, God could use every one of us in his kingdom if we would drop all the things that divide us and find the things that unite us to serve him. If we could just say, hey, let's serve God together. And it doesn't matter if he likes pink shirts or not. I could serve God with him. It doesn't matter what she does. Let's serve God together. But to do that, oh, this is the hardest part. I have to remove this guy. I have to remove self. My preferences can't be important. What I want can't be important. Paul didn't go to the Jew and say, Jew, you're messed up. You don't get it. You got to get like the Gentiles get. No, to the Jew I became as a Jew. To them that are under law, I became as under law. To them that are without law, I became as without law. To the weak, I became as weak. I became all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Are we willing to do that? To do that, we have to set self aside. And unfortunately, we live in a time period where sometimes the most important thing that you have, that you value the most, is your own opinion. Would you set your opinion aside for the kingdom of God? Could you set your preference aside for the kingdom of God and serve the Lord Christ There's always something to decide about Christian liberty. And of course, that's where the Holy Spirit guides us as we submit to Him. Do you know the Holy Spirit, I know it's true. It's in the Bible, and I know it's true in my own life. The Holy Spirit has the answer to every preference question there's ever been. He does. And we don't have to sit around and nitpick it and talk about it. He's got the answer, if you want it. You know what the biggest problem is? Most of us don't want it. We want to be right. I want to be right. The scriptures say that there's no one who should ever wear blue jeans. Where's it at? Well, there's a verse in Deuteronomy that says about mixed fabric. Could we maybe set our opinions and preferences aside And could we just serve the Lord Christ? See, Paul lays this out. He says, let the Holy Spirit be your guide on these things. And on the things that are important, let's go serve Christ. We often seek ways to define Christian liberty for ourselves so that we might do certain things or go certain places with clear conscience. 
Look with me to Romans 14. That's back over to your left. Romans chapter 14. And I just have a couple verses I want you to see in a couple passages related to this part of the topic. Romans 14. Verse number 17. Some of you opinionated people should probably underline this verse in your Bible. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Boy, that's a hard verse for Baptists to swallow. But righteousness and peace and joy, where? In the Holy Ghost. So, finding truth in the Holy Ghost. For he that, is, for he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and things wherewith one may edify another. It means build each other up. For meat destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now go over to 1 Corinthians 8. So the chapter right before the one where we are today. 1 Corinthians 8. Paul's take on this is so profound. And I hope you'll, you'll go with me to this passage and get this. It is so valuable. Look at 1 Corinthians 8, verse number 8. But meat commendeth us not to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, neither if we eat not are we the worse. Here's what it's saying. God is not up in heaven with a whiteboard saying, Oh my goodness, they ate that. Check. Oh my word, she wore that. Minus. Oh, he showed up on Sunday night three minutes late. Check. He didn't show up on Sunday night at all. Minus, minus, minus. Right? God's not up in heaven with this approval system that's set up for us. We are approved in Jesus Christ and only in Jesus Christ. We are loved only in Jesus Christ. And it's not by anything that we do in a preferential performance-based system. Look at verse 9. Because there's a huge word here. But... So even though everything we just said is true. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. For if any man see thee which hast knowledge, sit at meat in the idol's temple, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge... Shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? But when ye so sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Now, I want you to notice verse 13 because it's so profound. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. That is so different than how we do things. Many Christians are willing to give up their influence with those around them to prove that they have Christian liberty. Just to prove, to say, I would be willing to lose all my influence with you people just to prove that I can drink a beer and not be cursed by God. And they'd be willing to lose all their influence with people around them just for that one thing. It's the opposite of how Paul saw it. And I believe how God sees it. Could you listen to me very closely as I say this? The closer we get to God, and the more influence God gives us with others, the more we have to be willing to release freedoms. To put it simply, we have to remove self from the act of service. Service can't be about me and my privileges, or it's not service. Service is about the needs of others. 
specifically their primary need of Jesus Christ. And the answers to the trivial questions of Christian culture do nothing to reach the world for Christ. Paul's thought process was extreme. Basically, you could say it this way. Paul would do anything short of sin for the gospel's sake. He would do anything short of sin for the gospel's sake. And that statement that I just said scares some people to death. They're like, whoa, well, what? Wait, hold up, Pastor. What does that mean? That means we should do anything short of sin to reach people with the gospel. That's what it means. Wait, wait just a minute. Are we going to set aside this? Are we going to pick this up? Sometimes, you know what we need to do? We need to pick up God's love and go in the world. When we stand before God, God's not going to take a poll of how many people at Centennial Baptist Church use which version or which version of the Bible. God's going to stand before us and say, what have you done with Jesus Christ? Now, there is a text that I believe is the most concrete and valuable. But I'm not going to hurt my brother or my sister who's around me just so that I can be right about something. There's no value in that. And so Paul said, I do anything to reach someone with the gospel. He was willing to walk through a market where idols were being sold. If he could influence someone for Christ. He did it in Acts 17. He was willing to attend a meeting for agnostic philosophers, if he could gain some. He did that in Acts 2. He took self out of the equation. Service that is selfless is so rare. It really is. But it's blessed by God in an extraordinary way. There's a quote that always gets me when I read the book of Acts. It's in chapter 15. Here's what it says about Barnabas and Saul. Maybe you've seen it before. It's this awesome quote. It says, Men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. That's powerful. They were willing to give their lives for the gospel. But they were also willing to esteem others better than themselves. And that's hazardous behavior. Especially in a self-driven society. Here's the question. What could I give up to gain this soul? See, that's selfless. What could I give up to gain him or her or that one or this one? A selfless service. But then we end by talking about service that's rewarded. Back in our text passage, I want to read four verses as we close. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. That means controlled in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crowd, but we an incorruptible. What verse 25 is talking about, before we read the rest, is this. If you are going to be a marathon runner in the Olympics in 2016, you got to stop eating Twinkies in 2013. Oh, actually, Hostess already took care of that for us. Um, stop, stop eating Cheetos in 2013. You've got a bigger prize in mind. And you're looking ahead to something. And, and what this process means, I have to be controlled so that I can stay in the race. I have to be controlled because there's something coming ahead that I need to be a part of. Verse 26. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly... So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body. What that means is I hold my body down every day. I crucify my body every day. He told the Galatians, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Now look at the end of this. Lest that by any means what I have preached to others... I myself should be a castaway. That's the Greek word atakomos, 
which means disapproved, unable to serve. The last thing Paul wanted was to be unable to serve another person. Now, as we talk about the reward of service, once again, Paul blows our minds. Because Paul's great prize for being in service to others was that he might continue to be in service to others. His prize for serving in a controlled way today was that he could serve in a controlled way tomorrow. See, he understood the big picture. He understood that your life is like a book and you can never reach God's will on page 129 if you skip out of God's will on page 92. So he saw the next page of the book as a reward. He saw the prize on the way. His eyes were on it. His eyes were on Christ. He wanted to stay in the race. His reward for getting to mile 12 was that he could keep heading toward mile 13. And it is a totally different way of thinking, right? I mean, look, we're wondering sometimes, when am I done? When do I get to retire from Christian service? When do I not have to give anymore? When do I get to stop being sacrificial? When do I get to stop being willing and do some things for myself? Well, that's the Christian ethic, isn't it? And yet, that's how Christians live. I'm just going to live for me for this year. I'm just going to do what I want for a while. And God gives us such a bigger picture. When, I, when do I get to stop volunteering? When do I get to stop noticing people with needs? Can I just tell you, if you're asking those questions, that you are most definitely not in authentic Christian service for the right reason. Authentic service is motivated simply by one thing, love. We read it earlier. Paul said, I am willing to just be used by you. I'm willing to be destroyed by you. The more I love you, the less I be loved. He did it all for love. The love of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, the love of Christ constrains us. It compels us to move forward, to serve on purpose. Love is what drives us to serve in the kingdom. And love is also our reward. There's not a person who has ever finished the course of Christian service with joy that has regretted it. Not one. Never met one. But there are a lot of folks who have wasted their lives on serving themselves who have huge regrets. There are a lot of folks who started serving but gave it all up for one excuse or another. And as we get going into 2013, find your passion to complete God's purpose for your life. If you already know what God wants you to do, renew your passion. I love what William Carey said. He was a missionary many, many years ago. Listen to this quote. He said, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Did you get that? Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Serving on purpose is attempting the greatest thing there is for the gospel's sake. If there's no gospel influence involved, it might be a nice work, but it's not Christian service. If it's not attached to the gospel, it's not Christian service. It might be a nice project, but it's not Christian service. Giving to St. Jude's is a great idea, but it's not Christian service. The United Way is a terrific organization, but it's not Christian service. God has called his people to be active in Christian service. And the gospel is what makes it the most important thing you can ever do. Serving on purpose. Get started today. To quote Ronald Reagan, I've never quoted him in a message before, I don't think. But this is a great quote. He said, if not now, when? If not now, when will you serve? If you're not going to serve this year, when's it going to be? You remember when you said that last year? Remember when you said that in 2008? I'll serve next year. It's 2013, people. Wake up. Right? 
Wake up. If not now, when will you serve? If not here, where will you serve? If you're not going to serve at Centennial, I hate to be rude and I'm not mean, but please go serve somewhere. I love to have you here, but the body has to serve. We got to work together. We got to minister. We got to love each other. Let's be involved somewhere in the kingdom of God. And I say that with all love. In coming weeks, we're going to be talking about ways that we can partner together on purpose in service and in prayer. Can I just take you back to the initial verse we read? Paul said, For though I be free from the blood of all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Let's bow in prayer. As we bow this morning, I don't know what your commitment to God is today. Perhaps you're not even a believer in Jesus Christ, and we certainly are glad you came today, and we'd love to share the gospel with you. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've never really gotten it before. I've never been willing. I've never been ready to volunteer. And I just need to make that commitment today. I need to change in my heart that trigger that says, be willing, be ready, volunteer. Could be that you've made excuses about how much it costs to serve. Don't have enough time, don't have enough money, don't have enough effort to give. And God wants you to renew a commitment that says, listen, Jesus paid it all on the cross. What would you give for him? Could be that self's in the way. Your opinions are too big. Your pride's too big to serve Jesus Christ. I don't know what's in the way for you today, but I know this. The reward is so great. The reward is so vast that we can't even comprehend it. And I pray that today you make commitment worthy of your Savior. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for your word. Lord, I know that we've been lengthy in our message today in an attempt to break our hearts for service to you. Lord, I pray that you'd make me more willing, make me more ready when I see a need to step up and to lead. I pray that you would make me ready to sacrifice whatever cost to serve you. Remove me out of the equation. I'm, no, I'm not important at all. I pray that we would make commitments worthy of Jesus Christ today. We ask these things in his name. Would you stand? As you stand, we're going to give you a chance to respond. As Brother Cole sings, would you come on the first verse?